Well, well, well. We talk football, you talk Aaron Rodgers. Maybe the best quarterback in the business. Now, oh, I know Tom Brady, a fellow Californian. Uh, you would have take umbrage to that. But let's look at Aaron Rodgers. He plays in Green Bay. What, a population 100,000 where everybody is a stakeholder? Well, he dropped a bomb on the athletic world, the NFL world. Now, I might have predicted it. A lot of people don't realize that Aaron Rodgers in his collegiate days, when he was throwing that pigskin in the NCAA, played for Cal U. Berkeley. The key word, Berkeley, Berserkly. But then he came to the heartland of America, right? Green Bay. Sat on the bench, collected splinters, and then became the ultimate star. So he, he paid his dues. But this past year, he had a super spectacular season, even though he was under the cloud of not being vaxxed. And he stumbled and fumbled his way in trying to explain that. Okay. Everybody gave him a pass because he had another great season. Now we find out as he's beginning a new season that his best season was the result of dropping acid. I didn't know that he was a protege of Dr. Timothy Leary, the guru of LSD, who, yes, was from the West Coast, just like Aaron Rodgers. And apparently... What was told to me over 20 years ago when I debated Dr. Timothy Leary, College Park, in the huge field house, University of Maryland, it was feds versus heads. Naturally, the stoners loved Dr. Timothy Leary. They were there, 4,000 of them. I had maybe two supporters. And Dr. Timothy Leary came out on the stage in all of his glory to the tune of the time, 1967, Incense and Peppermint, the number one song in 67. Obviously, it was like 87. And he looked on that stage at me on the other side, and he said, I'm telling you right now, Curtis Sliwa, Mr. Zero Tolerance, you narc, that there will come a day when you will see some of the best football players in the NFL who will be taking shrooms and dropping acid. And I looked at Dr. Timothy Leary and I said, you are a wingding. You must be in a drug-induced psychosis. You must have had some shrooms, dropped some acid. Maybe you had just come from a Grateful Dead concert because Jerry Garcia, man, they used to give out free tabs of acid during the concert. I said, that is, that is impossible. You can't even smoke a bone and play NFL football. I mean, just look at Ricky Williams, right? <laughs> now we see that one of the best quarterbacks of all time, pound for pound, he's a bit of a loony kazoony himself. He's a bit of a, what can we say? When I was growing up, if you were not a success, you were considered a screwball or nut job. If you became very successful in what you did, whether in business or politics or in sports, you were then called eccentric. This very eccentric personality who burns through girlfriends faster than I burn through wives claims that his best season last year in the NFL was due to dropping acid, Timothy Leary style, and eating shrooms. Dr. Timothy Leary is circulating in one of Elon Musk's satellites, his ashes. Do I look to him up there 20 years later? and say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you loony kazoony from parts unknown, 
Dr. Timothy Leary, you were right and I was wrong. Do I have to do that now and do my mea copus, mea copus, mea maxima copus? Yo, Eric Adams, you're the swagger man with no plan as crime continues to rise to unprecedented proportions, way more than it ever was during the eight years of comrade Bill de Blasio, part-time mayor, dope from Park Slope, who never claimed to be a law and order mayor. No, he dropped the ball on law and order. But you claim, hey, my priority is law and order. Well, I guess yesterday you decided to flip the script and you anointed yourself America's hip-hop mayor. And all the hip-hop degenerates and monsters in the South Bronx who came out to meet you and greet you at the site of the future hip-hop hall of fame. It's going to cost millions and millions of dollars. We're so happy that you were playing Santa Claus with our tax dollars because you came with a certified check. It won't bounce. Yeah, if it was your check, right, it'd probably be from Bitcoin, and we know that baby would bounce, bounce, bounce. But it's all hard-earned dollars. You gave him $3 million to complete the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. Now, you would have thought, wait a second, LL Cool J, millionaire. Fat Joe, oh, that's right, he never paid his taxes. Jay-Z, billionaire, right? P. Diddy, billionaire. They could have written one check to a 501c3, which the Hip Hop Hall of Fame is. And they could have gotten a tax write-off. But oh no, you wanted to be the hip-hop mayor. Well, guess what? You're not the first. Let me take you back in time to Kwame Kirkpatrick. It's not a name that resonates now, but it certainly did back then. He was a star, rising star in the Democratic Party. As a young man, he had been elected mayor of Detroit. He was going to resurrect Detroit, like Lazarus from the dead. He was the son of the congresswoman, so he had political cred. But there were things that he did that were so similar. He had a million-dollar smile like Eric Adams. Check one. He had $5,000 customized suits. Check two. He had that earring in his ear 24 years ago when it wasn't cool, very hip, or fashionable. Check three. What happened to the first hip-hop mayor in America in Detroit, Kwame Kirkpatrick? Well, he got found guilty of extortion, racketeering, conspiracy to get wine-dined in pocket line illegally and was even charging a Kwame Kirkpatrick personal tax on every barge of sludge that was being taken down the Detroit River from the sewage plant. He got 10% of the Vic. He ended up doing 28 years in federal prison in Fort Worth until President Donald Trump commuted his sentence. So before you start flipping off that you want to be the hip hop mayor, Eric Adams, who has no plan, think of this. Kwame Kirkpatrick beat you to the punch 24 years ago. He had the big Curly white smile, $5,000 customized suits every day, Ferragamo shoes. He had the earring, and he had the larceny in his heart. He went to federal prison. You know, I would suggest focus on fighting crime and don't focus on being accepted by the Sugar Hill Connection or Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five because you said you were old school. When you say... You love rap now? A whole new generation thinks 
You, you're talking sea blue. You're talking drill rappers. You're talking people who do drive-by shootings. You can't have it both ways. You didn't get elected to be the hip-hop mayor. So if you want to be the hip-hop mayor, you probably end up facing the consequences just like homeboy number one, Kwame Kirkpatrick in Detroit. Demi Lovato. Let me go old school on you before you were birthed. The Temptations had a song that really uh, symbolizes what you're going through. Ball of confusion. Ball of confusion. Boy, are you confusing. Now look, might be attributed to the problems that you had in recovering from drug addiction. Not a problem. Seems to be synonymous in your field. Look, Tony Bennett, who just turned 96 back in 1979 was addicted to cocaine. He lost everything. The IRS came and they took his mansion in L.A. He didn't have two nickels to rub together. And yet he bounced back. But Tony Bennett knew who he was. Most people generally do. In this generation, you have choice. And I'm not talking about pro-life, pro-choice. I'm talking about choice of 72 different categories to specify what your gender alignment or realignment is at that moment, at that hour, at that day, at that, on that week of that month of that year. Yep. You could flip the script at a moment's notice. And your sexuality that goes along oftentimes with your gender might also be very fluid. Example. Demi Lovato said one moment she could be asexual, which means you're abstaining from sex. Something that in this monkeypox hysteria might be something that guys out there may want to try. Abstination may be your cure. Okay, you get the vaccine, it'll be fine. But Demi Lovato, I saw the other day you were going through a variety of transitions. You said, I'm not quite so sure of my pronouns on any given day. He, she, they. But then again, one day I lean more towards the she than the they or the he. When I go to a bathroom on one day, I feel like I should be going to the women's ladies room. Another day, the men's ladies room. Another day, I look and I say, but there's no room here that will satisfy my gender identification. And I say, "Uh uh-oh. This woman has succumbed to the 72 chambers of gender identification. No, that wasn't Wu-Tang Clan. That was the now generation. So Demi Lovato says, depending on the day, depending on that moment, I'll know exactly what gender I am and what sexuality I'm involved in. I just have to go with the flow. Now, Demi, does this mean that you're actually going to change all of your paperwork every time you're in transition? Does that mean, as you said, that you are looking forward to that moment when you think of yourself as being trans, a transgender? There are 72 different chambers you could go through, Demi Lovato, and you've had a tough life and you've had a roller coaster ride in life, but... You really want to do this to yourself? Demi, as far as I can see, you look like uh, XX chromosome to me. I'm an XY chromosome. Easier for me to flip because, remember, Y 
is clearly male, X is clearly female, so guys could sort of flow back and forth. But you're XX. So in my book, Demi Lovato, you're either XX or XY. And just following your career, as brief as it's been, you are definitely XX. So hey, enjoy it. No matter what your sexuality is, you can't change your gender, Demi. You're XX all the way. Ah, we go on the Curtis Leewood time machine to the first Woodstock and then the time that they tried to do a Woodstock too, and it was a disaster. First off, let me take you back to 1969, the summer of 1969. It was a lot of rain. Let's see, it was the summer of the Miracle Mets. Oh, my God. The Mets beat the Baltimore Orioles 4-1 in the World Series. It was also the time of the Apollo 11 lunar landing. And there were so many other things taking place. But the most defined moment of all in August of that summer was a half a million strong, mostly hippies, but those who were like sampling that alternative way of living where it was us and we, not I and me, peace, love, and happiness. Half a million strong went up the New York State Thruway to Bethel, New York, for the Woodstock three-day concert. Half a million people wallowing in the mud. There were torrential downpours. You had all kinds of group. The first heavy metal group of all time appeared Mountain with Leslie Rest, Corky Lang on drugs, Felix Papagliardi on bass. Then you had Shanana. I couldn't believe that. Shanana, doo-wop acapella. But you had the Who. And you had my favorite group that just Burst onto the scene, Sly and the Family Stone, from 1 to 4 in the morning, and nobody went to sleep. They were all doing the boogaloo. And then at the end of it, in the rain, Jimi Hendrix playing his rendition on his great guitar of the national anthem. Nobody got injured, nobody got shot, nobody got killed. It was peace, love, and happiness. Yeah, a lot of people were smoking dope and dropping acid. But it left a very good feeling in the hippy-dippy generation. You know, like with flowers in your hair, hate Ashbury, Greenwich Village. But then they decided they were going to recreate it for a new generation, 1999. It was decadent. It was debaucherous. It was violent. There was rape. There was pillaging. There was savaging. And the whole spirit of Woodstock 1969 was not only lost, it was recreated. In fact, it struck me as very similar to what the Rolling Stones tried to do to emulate and imitate Woodstock in 69. There he was. There was Mickey. There were the Rolling Stones. They sat there and they said, we can do Woodstock out on the West Coast in Altamont, Northern California. It was an empty racetrack. We'll get half a million strong to come out here. And guess what? The headliner, Rolling Stones, us. Jefferson Airplane, Grace Slick, Jerry Garcia, and the Grateful Dead giving out free tabs of acid. Peace, love, and happiness, West Coast style, except Mick Jagger decided security would be handled by Sonny Barger. Just recently dropped dead, good, leader of the Hells Angels, and the Hells Angels of Oakland. And you know, they did the security for cases of beer. That was it, no money, cases of beer. And they savaged the crowd. They saw a black man in the crowd with a white woman they took out pool cues and they beat the living daylights out of them. They beat down everybody else. 
In fact, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead said, we're out of here, Mick. This is not what it was supposed to be. Jefferson Airplane, Great Slick said, we're going back to the Bay Area. This is not what it was supposed to be. So we already had an idea that there was one Woodstock, one Woodstock alone, peace, love, and happiness as part of the hippy-dippy era. And all the attempts to recreate it, Altamon months later, on the West Coast, Northern California was a disaster. And then with all the commercial embodiments of 1999, it was worse than, than, than a worse nightmare. It was like clockwork orange. So don't ever try to imitate or recreate Woodstock again. Let's just keep the memory strong. It was special, it was different, and it lived up to everything it was advertised to be, the original, in August of 1969. Peace, love, and happiness. Nobody killed, nobody shot, nobody injured, nobody sexually assaulted.